All right, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I thought with the news of lockdown, a, a, a heavy 40-minute message on uh, going deep into the will of God, and some of you like to call it the eternal decree of God, was probably not the uh, best idea, especially without people here in uh, person. Uh, so I, what I want to do is, is just look at Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. It's immense text in the Greek, one sentence, but divided up in, into many, but one long, ongoing, over 200 words. It's like a paragraph or even a few paragraphs. It's an immense, immense text, and if we can look at it from various angles, we can break it down and, and, and mine some of its riches. I'd like to bring it to us so that it is used to encourage, to build up, and to stir the affection of us all, because that's what it was, why it was given by the Apostle Paul to its hearers. It's, it's just masterful, and uh, we're going to spend a number of weeks in it. God is good to his people. And we can't forget that. God is good to his people. And if you're in Christ, you're part of his body, and you are blessed beyond measure. That's what I want to say. That's what Paul's saying here. You're blessed beyond measure. God's new community had to respond with, with, with praise and worship and gratitude to him for what he has done. God has taken the initiative in salvation. And that's what we need to hear about right now. We need to be, while we're, while we're concerned with what we see in the world, we, we're worried about our own circumstances, we need to be thinking about what's above that, what is unshakable and unchangeable. And that's what Paul does here in Ephesians. So let's read from uh, verses 3 uh, through to verse 14. This is the word of the living God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's the word of the living God. 
Ephesus was known for the temple of Artemis, right, which was one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it was, it was massive. I was having a little bit of a read uh, this week, and it, it was four times the size of the, uh, the Parthenon in Athens. Right? Columns were, were 60 feet, about 18 meters tall columns. Absolutely enormous. Just an unmistakable building uh, there in, in Ephesus. And with the temple, you've got banking taking place. You've got uh, Artemis is on one of the coins, right? The god. And you've got a month. One of the months in their calendar was named after, after her, after Artemis. Uh, you've got you know, sporting events named after Artemis. Everything revolved around Artemis. She was the protector of the city of Ephesus, which was this great big capital of the Roman province of Asia. And so the people there would have understood blessing was found in worshipping and trusting in Artemis and serving Artemis, or Diana. And Paul is saying here, no. Blessing is found in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying to these people in Ephesus, and he's saying to us today, that we find our blessing, God's goodness to us, ultimately through his salvation plan in Jesus Christ. And so he's laying this out here. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, just, it's easy to skip over that, but that's how he begins. And if you, you take verses 3 to 14, and you've got this section, you can, the way you divide it up is by firstly seeing verse 3 as kind of a, a summary up top. The whole thing's about worship. What is it, that's what it means. We ask ourselves, what does it mean to, to bless? Blessed be. It means to, to speak well of, to, to glorify, to ascribe what is due to them because of their goodness or greatness. You speak well of someone, you bless someone. And so... Paul is saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, worship and adore God. Think highly upon God. And Paul's going to pray. He's going to pray, actually. He's, he's going to share what his prayers are. He's going to pray in verse 3. Uh, sorry, chapter 3. But Paul doesn't just start with prayer. Paul says, here's what we know about God, and here's what God's done before I'm going to pray. He, he lays out who this God is and what this God has done as foundational to his prayers, to this God and for these people. And so why would Paul say, and why would Paul encourage the Ephesians to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he says, this God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
God has acted. God has been good. When we hear that word, Jesus Christ, we could almost use it interchangeably with Messiah, King, Savior. He is the, the true ruler over heaven and earth. Not Adamus, not a president, not a queen, not anyone, not you, not me. He is the source of blessing. He is the ruler, and he's giving good gifts as he, as he, uh, as he, as he rules. In him is found blessing. And we must, we must not forget, like, Paul just dives straight in here in Ephesians 1. But if we were logically setting Ephesians out ourselves, like say you were given the pen, or Paul says, hey, come edit this letter, you might be saying, well, whoa, why don't we just start with uh, that bit in chapter 2, which says... Um, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the prince and powers of the air. You were enemies of God, and then God came along and blessed you. But Paul, he's starting with God. He's starting with how everything originates from God. All the goodness that we have comes from Him. All the salvation comes from Him. And we need to then keep in mind when we read Ephesians chapter 2 that that's the reality. That it's not, oh, well, I'm, I'm beautiful and wonderful and good, so of course God would bless me. Of course he would pour out his favor upon me. No, he's saying, you were without hope. You had, you had, you deserved wrath. You were sinning, you were rebelling against him. You didn't want anything, and God comes along and blesses you in Christ. And that is, that's where wonder comes from. How do we turn that away? How do we say, oh, that's not good enough? It is a, to a fallen people, a sinful people, a dead people, that God has put forward his blessing in Christ. And so if you go through verses from there, Verses 3 to, to 14, we see that God has blessed us in verse 3 in the king. He has, in verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Those are going to be some interesting sermons, by the way. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons in verse 5. He poured out his grace upon us. In verse 6, he redeemed us through his blood by forgiving our trespasses. In verse 7, in verse 9 and 10, he says that he brought us into this plan to unite all things in Christ, to bring it everything under the headship of Christ. In verse 11, he says that in, in this Christ we've been obtained an inheritance. That we were the ones who set our hope on him, but ultimately we set our hope on him so that he might glorify himself. He has sealed us with his promised Holy Spirit 
and who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we take possession of it. God has blessed us. This is, you want to know what it means that God has blessed us in the Beloved? It's, it's everything that it says there. It's, it's so much. And it's actually it's, it's almost tiring to read Ephesians chapter 1 because Paul's saying so much. He's just laying things out. It's not, we shouldn't have the attitude of an ungrateful child on their birthday or Christmas. They're opening presents. Maybe this was you, I don't know. You're opening presents and then you're like, you get some nice gifts and then you're like, well, what else did I get? Paul's saying here, this and this and this and this and this, and it doesn't stop. Like, what else do you want? And so if we're, if we're intimidated reading these early words of uh, Paul here in Ephesians 1, what we could do is see the verse 3 as something of a title. It's called a worship, this blessed be the God and Father who's blessed us. And then he explains how. In verses 4 to 6, we've got the plan of God. And some would, some would add, and I, I would say that all three members of the Trinity are working together, but some would say that verses 4 to 6 is the plan of the Father, and then verses 7 to 10 are the work of the Son, and uh, verses 11 to 14 are the inheritance of the Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit working uh, together. But if we, if we look at verses 4 to 6, at the plan of God, we see that God's plan is to glorify himself in saving a people in his son, a people who were dead in their trespasses and sins, and adopting them as sons, welcoming them into his households. And sons have an inheritance in that, that language, which, we, which we'll get to. There's an election and predestination. It says that in verse 4, that we should be, he chose us so that we should be holy and blameless before him. There's a purpose there. He takes the people who are unholy and the people who are certainly not blameless and he does something great. He unites them to Christ by his spirit and adopts them as sons and daughters of God. And in this language here, there's, Paul is a Jew, there's some Old Testament roots. It's calling to mind God's plan to elect Abraham, the father of a great nation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. God's plan to, to, to bring a people to himself and to have them holy and blameless before him. To, to save a people from sin and to, to save this world from the, the ruin of sin. It's the curse. God has always been at work from Genesis 3.15 onwards to, to save a people. And here we get told that God's actually been working before the foundation of the world. So God has a plan. And God always gets his way. And then in verse 7 to 10, we kind of have another paragraph, so to speak, and it, it speaks of redemption. 
And we should understand, if, if we use the language of Israel and Israel's history in the, the Old Testament, redemption is the story of the Exodus. The story of having grown together and being elected by God, we see Abraham's seed, Jacob's people, they grow, and, but then there is slavery in Egypt. Redemption is the story of Passover. That the Passover lamb was blood of the lamb sprinkled on the doorpost as the angels of death came over uh, during the night and, and, and killed the firstborn sons, which pointing forward to that firstborn son. And then he used that ultimately to bring Israel, the people of Israel, out of slavery, out of captivity, and he sent them off into the wilderness on the way to his promised land. Redemption through his blood. God redeemed through the blood of the Lamb, and God redeemed now through the blood of the Lamb. Paul says here, in verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, the forgiveness of our sins, that the ultimate captivity and slavery that we need to be freed from, redeemed from, paid the price for, that's what redemption means, is our forgiveness of sin. That's what we need. Our trespasses, the price that needs to be paid for our sin. The wages of sin is death and Redemption through his blood. The Lamb of God dies in our place. And so not only that, you have God's purpose, God's plan, and then you have the, the exodus of redemption. But then the people of Israel are wandering for 40 years in the, the desert due to their own unfaithfulness. But the plan was always to, to send them into the land, but that land was an inheritance. And it was an inheritance promised back to Abraham there in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. And so Paul is using this language. He's using the story for what God is doing in his people, in this new community. Verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the him according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He says, you've obtained an inheritance. You have it. It's yours. And then you take possession of it. Later, the people of Israel were in Abraham, or through the Abrahamic promise, were promised an inheritance, and that was the, the land of Canaan. When we think inheritance today, we seem to bring to mind liquid assets, money, cash, right? That's what we think of inheritance. But you go watch one of those old movies, Sense and Sensibility, Jane Eyre, or you go, go even further, go even further back. Inheritance, it's title, it's land. And God forbid you sell it, everyone in your family will shun you. It's not supposed to be sold. It's land, it's estate, it's title. That's your inheritance. It's supposed to be something that gets passed on. Well, God 
promised the people an inheritance, a land. And Paul here is using that language. He is saying that we have an inheritance. And there he says as well, he says, You who are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The Holy Spirit is part of our inheritance. He is the stamp of our inheritance. He is the presence of God with us until we get to the fullness of that, which is the, the new creation, which is, which is heaven, where God dwells with his people. The presence of God always with his people. Jesus Christ is there already. He is in Zion, we're told. He is seated at the right hand of majesty on high. And he said he is seated, Paul says in verse 3, he is in the heavenly places. Not down here. He sent his spirit to be amongst his people. But he is where we shall go. That's our inheritance. We get God, we get His Spirit. As we reminded of the, the, the Spirit leading Israel through the wilderness on the way to the promised land in a, 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 a pillar of a fire and cloud, God is with His people. He said that's guaranteeing that we will get to where we are going, that we will take possession of the fullness of our inheritance. And we know that this is true because Christ has died and risen again. He is seated in the heavenly places. He cannot be torn down. And Paul says, you have an inheritance. And all of this is to the praise of his glory. He says, you have believed, in verse 13, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You heard the good news of what Jesus Christ is, that he's come, that he has lived the life that we could not live, that he died upon the cross, that he rose again from the dead, that he ascended to the right hand of majesty on high. And he says, you heard this message about what Christ has done and what he is doing, that all things will be united in him. You believed it, you trusted in him. And he says, this happens because you were also sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so we must, we must marvel at that. Why do you believe? Because God initiated this in you. Why do you believe? It's because God, before the foundations of the earth, chose you. How did you come to believe? Well, he made sure you heard the gospel. And he sealed you with his Spirit. And he gave himself to you. He has blessed you in all these ways that we read here. Salvation from beginning to end is a work of God's grace to you. So how do we possibly respond? Well, we say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. As life might feel so flimsy for you right now, because life is but a vapor. Life changes so quickly. We have one of the best existences here in this country 
of New Zealand. We truly do. We are blessed just, just to live here. But the blessings that are laid out here in Scripture in Christ Jesus are the ones that can't ever be taken away. Your blessings will never go into lockdown, so to speak. They are always there for us, and so we are called to, to bless God and be grateful for that. And so I pray that we might be uh, encouraged in this time from uh, the Word. Let's pray together. Our Lord in Christ, we, we thank you for what you've done. Help us to believe these words. Help us to believe the immensity of these promises. When we feel unworthy, might we know that it is because of God, because of your worthiness, because of your love, that we receive them. Encourage us, strengthen us, and help us to believe uh, your promises. And each day, we're a day closer to receiving the fullness of our inheritance, dwelling amongst you, gazing upon your beauty, and being in a place with no more sickness, with no more death, no more sin all because of the redemption in Christ's blood. Help us to be grateful and reminded of how blessed we are. In Jesus' name, amen.